Hey, so that is an excerpt from a movie trailer from um, Life Remodels Project last year at Cody Rouge and um, really had a, a huge impact on the school. And basically what happens is they uh, gather literally thousands of volunteers, they board up houses, they remodel some houses, and then they descend upon the school and basically redo the entire high school. It's just been a, a phenomenal outreach. So that happened last year, and they're beginning the same project this year at Osborne, just up the street from here, uh, six or seven miles up, seven mile. So if you are interested at all at volunteering, serving, uh, we just want to encourage you to do it. It starts tomorrow. If you just go to their website, liferemodel.com, you can right in the middle of their website is a volunteer button. You can press that. Great thing to bring your kids. You can volunteer for a day. You can volunteer for the week. They need plumbers. They need electricians. They need people who can rake. They need people who can uh, paint. They need people who can sweep. Uh, basically, if you have any desire to be a part of it, again, there will be thousands of people descending on that neighborhood. And I love what they're trying to do. They try to create a, a safe path for the kids to get to school. So they clean up the uh, abandoned lots. They clean up the houses and just uh, uh, really come alongside the community to do a good thing. So if you're interested at all in that, um, we'd love for you to be a part. And we're going to go old school today. So I'm going to ask if you uh, would stand up and welcome somebody to Grace. Thanks. Hey, welcome. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Just like old times, huh? Standing greet. You guys are funny. Hey, um, there's these little cards in the back of your seat. I'm going to talk about them near the end of the service. Um, I thought I'd go without saying first service, but uh, they're for you to take with you. So I was surprised everybody got up. They were just still sitting there. So you reach behind, you can pull it out, and you can take it with you. So that's what the cards are for, and I'll make sense out of them later this, uh, this morning. So we're in week two of a series we're calling Proof. Lessons from the Holy Land. And the idea of this series uh, really was, as Meg and I and the kids uh, come back from uh, five weeks in Israel, what did God teach us? What did God teach me? And, and um, how can I bring that to you in a way that uh, helps uh, spur you along in your own journey? And I have to be honest, this has been um, the hardest series for me uh, so far, hardest series to teach. And part of the reason is not because God didn't teach me anything, but God taught me a ton of things, and it's just hard to figure out what it is I can bring and how to bring it in such a way that it's, it's going to be impactful for you. The last thing I want to do is just come up here and give you a slideshow of uh, what I did on my summer vacation. None of you want that, and certainly I don't want that. Um, so it's just trying to figure out how to, how to bring something that's going to be uh, life-changing. One of the things we pray every Sunday just about is that— um, and throughout the week, is that when you come to Grace, that you would interact with the living God, that you would interact with the Word of God, and that you would leave here different than you came. That we don't want to play church. We want it to have this transformational impact. So the series like this, it's just a, a real challenge for me to figure out how to bring the information as well as the transformational elements. And I think God has given me something uh, very special this week. Um, I was riding my bike Friday, and 
kind of praying as I rode my bike. I wasn't closing my eyes and praying because I'm not that talented, but I was praying, riding my bike, and God really gave me a clear picture of uh, what to do next week as well, so I'm excited about what he's laid on my heart uh, for next week, and I hope you'll come back for that. But this week, uh, we're going to dive into it. As you pray at 9.30 every morning, uh, I would just uh, covet your prayers as we pull together uh, this series. So today, we're going to do something. We're going to kind of step back, and we're going to answer three questions. And I think by answering these three questions, it'll help you to understand the biblical narrative, the story of Scripture, and it'll also help to put some of the, the Holy Land conversation into context. So the, the first question we're going to answer is, why a chosen people? Why did God choose a particular group of people? And, and maybe the way we can answer the why a chosen people is, well, what were they chosen for, right? The second question we're going to ask is, why a promised land? Why a particular place? And, and what's the deal? What's so special about Israel, what's so special about that actual place? And if we get to the point where we answer those first two questions, then we can answer the question, well, what was God up to then? Which will help us to understand, well, and what's he up to now? What was God up to back then, and what is God up to now? So that's kind of the the framework for where I'm going to go today. So we're going to start with the first question. Why a chosen people? Why did God choose these particular people? What was the purpose of a, a chosen people? So grab your Bibles. We're going to jump around to a few different texts today. We don't have just one text to teach from because we're answering these questions. And the question is pretty multifaceted. So have your Bibles open. Keep them open. If you're using a reader, that's great. We encourage you to bring whatever you use at home to study the Word to bring here. Encourage you to take notes because that'll help you to remember. But we're going to read from Genesis chapter 12. Genesis, first book of the Old Testament, chapter 12. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for just the words that you've given me, the message that you've given me. I do pray that um, those moments of um, those epiphanies, those moments of truth, that as people are listening today, those words that come directly from you, I just pray that people would hold on to them. I pray that they would apply them. I pray that people would leave here different than they came because they've interacted with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So we just thank you for these next few minutes. Just pray that you'll bless it. Jesus name. Amen. Genesis 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes a promise to Abram. He makes a promise or a covenant. And remember, Abram actually becomes Abraham. God changes his name, and he instructs Abraham to separate himself from his country, from his people, and from his family. And I think it's interesting that all three of those are in there, because if you've ever moved to a foreign country, if you've ever had to actually relocate to a foreign country, it's a pretty intimidating thing to go to a place where the language is different, and the customs are different, and the way people uh, see things are different. It's a, it's a scary thing. Anybody who's transplanted to a, another country, there's a huge learning curve. There's a, a getting used to the new country that's a part of it, but it also says leave your people. And that's a pretty big deal, too, to leave your friends, to leave your network, to leave all of that. And then the last thing it says, and leave your father's household. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. And this is monumental, you see, because this is a patriarchal society. And the 
really the, the measurement of the success of a man was how many children he could raise, and especially how many boys he could raise. And the more boys that he had, the more his, his clan would grow, and they would all live nearby, sometimes in the, in the same compound, and it would become bigger and bigger. And actually, whether or not you were blessed or not blessed was based on how many kids you could raise, how many boys you could have. And so it's a huge deal in this society, in the ancient world, for a boy to say, Dad, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving home. I'm going to a faraway country because suddenly the clan got smaller. And so no doubt, there's absolutely no doubt that this would have been an incredibly difficult conversation for Abraham with his dad and with his mom and with his family. Now, we, we don't see that in Scripture, but, but we don't have to see it in Scripture because the first readers of this would have known that's the way it is. They wouldn't have to, to write that out. They would have just known this is a big deal. Abraham's taking a, a huge change of life. But in spite of knowing all of this, Abraham chooses to have faith. He takes what little faith he has and he puts it into action. And the Bible actually says that because Abraham have, had faith and believed God, he was credited righteousness. God saw him as a righteous man. One of our days in Jerusalem, the whole class that I was in went to uh, an older gentleman's shop. He was a, uh, not a Messianic Jew, he was a, just a Jewish man and, and he had the shop and he, he, he looked at us and he said, he said a lot of things, but he said, the, and I'm going to read the quote because I want to get it right. He said, the movement of God in our lives always starts with an invitation. He said, the question is, are you going to be faithful to the invitation? Are you going to step out in faith? Abraham was willing to respond to the invitation of God. And he grew and he became a hero of the faith. So hold on to that. God's movement in our lives always starts with an invitation. Maybe that's your nugget today. Maybe that's what you need to hold on to. The question is, what is God inviting you to do? Or maybe what is God inviting you to stop doing? Where is God inviting you to go? What is God inviting you to do? Because the movement of God in our lives always starts with an invitation. If you go back and you look at the, the biblical narrative, there's an invitation over and over for people to respond to. And that's the beginning of an amazing journey with God. What is God inviting you to? So Abraham's willing to, to move in faith. He accepts the invitation of God. And if you look at verse 2 of the passage I just said, read, it says that God says to him, I will make you into a great nation. All people on earth will be blessed through you. And that's a pretty amazing statement. Imagine being Abraham and hearing those words. All people on earth will be blessed through you. He's just a, a man after all. How could all people on earth be blessed through one man? Seems like a crazy statement. But the truth of the matter is God was saying, look, through your lineage, through your line, through your descendants, all people will be blessed. And he was pointing towards something amazing that was about to happen or going to happen in time. And the something that was going to happen is really actually a someone. He was pointing towards Jesus. What he was saying is, through you, through your lineage, through your, your line, there will be a Messiah born, and he will bless all nations. So it was a prophecy about Jesus. So it was a prophecy, but it was also, and this is where we have to hang on to it, it was also a directive. So it was a prophecy, and it was a directive. You and your descendants, Abraham, you are to be a blessing to all people. And the key word there is all people. 
not just the people who look like you, not just the people who act like you, not the, just the people who worship like you, not the people who live where you live, not the people who have the customs that you have, not the people who have the same convictions that you have. You are called as the people of God, Abraham, and your descendants to be a blessing to all people. So important for us to hold on to this as we move through the rest of this message. So, Abraham is called, and is, he's told that your people, your descendants, are going to be a blessing. Now, if you just turn to Exodus, so just one more book, Genesis, Exodus, look at Exodus 19. And now we fast-forwarded in human history about 600 years or so. And if you remember the story, remember uh, Abraham's descendants, they go to Egypt because there's a famine, and then they start to grow in numbers, and now there's almost a, probably more than a million of them, and they live in Egypt, but they'd become slaves in Egypt. You guys remember this story? And there's Moses, and Moses comes, and the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Plagues, and, and, and then there, the Exodus, so you're keeping up with me. That's kind of where we are in this story. So Abraham's descendants have grown in numbers, and they've been released from Egypt. They've been released from slavery. And so we're reading Exodus 19, 3 through 6, and it says, And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord God called to him from the mountain and said to him, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. I thought these were the descendants of Abraham. Well, just so you know, Jacob is Abraham's grandson, so it is the descendants of Abraham. So say to the descendants of Jacob what I'm about to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings, how I brought you out to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of you, excuse me, then out of all nations, you will be a treasured possession. Although the, the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He says, Moses, these are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So did you see the invitation in that passage? Look at verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. And that's a pretty heady thing when we think about it, especially if you know the Old Testament and all the law of the Old Testament. You read Deuteronomy, and how are they going to keep all the Old Testament? But remember, Jesus came, and he kind of narrowed it all down for us. He said, really, it's all boiled down to this. If you just love God and you love people, if you just love God and you love people, if you would just do that, then you will be my treasured, possession. I love those words, my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the question we're trying to answer here is, why a chosen people? Why did God choose a group of people? The Jews, Abraham's descendants, were chosen to be God's treasured possession. They were chosen to be blessed by God so that they could bless others. They were chosen to be a holy nation, which just means that they were going to live differently. They were going to live lives in such a way that, that pointed towards God, but they were going to be set apart as, a, as something different in the world that all the other nations would see. So they're a holy nation, and lastly, they're a kingdom of priests. And I want us to hang on to that one just a little bit longer. A kingdom of priests. Why a kingdom of priests? Well, the only way we can know why a kingdom of priests is we have to know, well, what is the role of a priest? The definition that I love of a priest is a priest is the compass leading the people to righteousness, leading the people to the virtuous path to God. The role of the priest is to point others to God, and they do that by how they live. They do that by how they worship. They do that by how they fulfilled the sacraments of the time. It's, it, all of that was for the sheer purpose of pointing the people towards God. The Jews were called to be a light 
to all nations. They were called to show the world that Yahweh really was the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords. They were to make him known to all people. And how would they do this? By setting themselves apart and living different than the world and loving God and loving people. Throughout the Old Testament, over and over, we see instructions to the people of Israel, to the, to the Jews, of how they are to take care of the foreigners that come through their land. That they are to remember that they once were foreigners. We also see God's passion about justice. This is how you're to care for those people who are marginalized, those people who, who, who are feeling displaced, people who have, have been oppressed. You need to step into justice. So Micah says, this is what the Lord requires of you, that you act justly, love mercy, Walk humbly with your God. We're going to see in just a minute just how critical it is that they do all of these things if they're going to live into the mission that God has given them, if they're going to care for the people that God has placed in their midst. So they're chosen. They're cho chosen to point the world towards God. And there's a, uh, something that needs to be said here, kind of a side note. If you are chosen by God, this is no picnic. If God's going to use you for his purposes, he is going to prune you and he is going to refine you. God is going to train you in such a way that you can be effective as his chosen people. God is going to prepare you to do the work that he wants you to do. And that preparation, it sometimes can be incredibly difficult. So I've decided I'm going to run this year in the Eagle Sports Club run that we're having in September. Well, I haven't been running for the, probably almost the last year. And so if I'm going to run and not embarrass myself, i got to start running. And guess what? It's not fun. In some ways, it, it kind of hurts. And when I get up on the stage, it's, my legs hurt. And it's just there's pain that comes with training. There's difficulties coming. It's just a little microcosm, a little example of what it means to prepare. So, so athletes kind of prepare their bodies through pain, through, through working out to get ready for being on the field. And the same is true with us spiritually. God takes us through seasons of difficulty to prepare us to be his chosen people. If God chooses you, he's going to prepare you as well. That's what the whole desert thing was all about. God was trying to teach his people, look, you need to learn to trust me in difficult seasons because if you don't trust me when it's hard, you will never trust me when it's easy. So there is this training, there is this, this developing that God is going to take his people through. We got to remember that being chosen is not about privilege. It's not about ease of life. It's not something that allows us to look down our nose at other people. It's not about being better than other people. It's not about having a higher status. The, the truth of the matter, then and now, being chosen by God means to be a servant to others. To be a servant to others, something very different than maybe what we would first think. So Abraham's descendants, they're given this purpose, right? The purpose is to be priests to the world. They are to to be prepared by God in a variety of ways for that very purpose. Remember this, if, if God calls you, God will equip you. So, they're chosen for a purpose, and then they're also given this place, this place to live out their purpose, this place that we call the promised land, what eventually becomes Israel. But why this particular place? The second question we are going to answer, and there's a lot of reasons. There's a few different reasons, but if you remember last week, I showed you this picture. That's the... Uh, um, standing on the Mount of Olives, looking down through the Kidron Valley, and that wall you can see there is the wall of the old city. And that huge uh, dome that you see there is the Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim mosque that was built in 691 
A.D. And actually, the foundation of it was built in 70 A.D. when the uh, Romans came in and kind of burned Jerusalem and put down the revolt. They built a, a temple there um, to their own gods, and then that temple became the foundation for this Muslim mosque. But I show that to you because under that massive gold dome is a rock. And it's actually a, a piece of bedrock that comes up out of the earth, and it's flat on the top. And, and this is the rock. Some say, and I don't want you to write this down, and I don't want you to quote me, because I don't want to get in trouble. But some say this is the center of creation. It's the creation stone that Adam and Eve were created in this very spot, that it's the center of the Garden of Eden. Now, there isn't any way for us to know if that's really true, but I can tell you it makes for some fascinating theological conversations about what God might be doing and and when all things, the earth is made new and all that, but it doesn't really matter. So that's part of the tradition. But we do know, is with, with all likelihood, that this is the very stone where Abraham, remember we've talked about Abraham, brought his son Isaac when he bound Isaac and he was going to sacrifice him. It was on this spot, under that dome, on that flat rock, where Isaac was bound. And then if you fast forward a few hundred more years, this is the stone. If you remember the story of David, David is the king. And God sends David to buy the threshing floor from the Jebusite. Remember that story? And he goes and he buys the threshing floor and he builds an altar there. This is the stone that David bought. And then when Solomon builds the first temple, the inner court, the Holy of Holies, is the stone that's under this gold dome. So there's all this holy history. There's all this tradition there. There's just, there's all kinds of history when you think about what's under that gold dome. So, so part of the reason God chooses this place is because it's, it's got all this, this history, but there's also a very practical reason why God chooses Israel, why God chooses the promised land. It's the place to put his people to do ministry. One of the things I, I guess I never really realized is how richly diverse the land in Israel is. I'm kind of, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm kind of a farm boy in my blood. I grew up in farm country, a lot, of, a lot of my young formative years. So when I drive down the road, whether I'm here or anywhere else, I'm always looking at the fields. I'm looking at the crops in the fields. I can tell you, you know, what's growing. Now, I couldn't in Israel because I didn't recognize a lot of the crops. But I'm always paying attention to the, to the agriculture. Just part of that's just how I was, how I was raised, and it's kind of in my blood. So, so imagine as we're traveling and we're seeing these amazing things. But here's what the thing you got to understand is, is Israel is tiny. It is a very small country. So this is a map of the United States. That's Israel in the middle. That's not where it's actually located. So if you're going to go to Israel, <laughs> uh, I just wanted to get a sense of proportion. So that's, that's Israel. Or if it helps you to have a different view, this is Lake Michigan. That's Israel. It, we didn't actually put it in Lake Michigan. I just wanted you to see size-wise how small it is. So we're in this little tiny country, what I would consider tiny. And and one morning, um, we get up in the morning, and we're up in the Golan Heights, and this is our view. We could see apple orchards. I told somebody else, and it's like, apple orchards? I thought it had to freeze to have apples. Well, it does freeze, and they have snow in the Golan Heights, but those are apple trees, and behind it is, are the Golan Heights. And, and so we're there in the morning, and then we get on a bus, and we drive for maybe an hour, at the most an hour and a half, but it wasn't any more than an hour and a half. And then we're looking at orange groves and banana plantations. So think about that in, in, our, in our context. We all know apple orchards, right? We have them in our backyard. You probably have all gone to the cider mill at times. You know apple orchards. Well, how far would you have to drive from here before you get to oranges or bananas? And I don't know that I've ever seen bananas in the state, so let's just use oranges. I think they might grow them in Florida, but I don't even know. But we know where they grow oranges, right? I, get maybe, maybe, I don't think they grow them much north of, of Florida. But how, how long do you have to drive? 
How many hours is it from here to Florida? I don't know, 20 hours. Okay, so you drive 20 hours to get that way. And here we are in this country where we drive for an hour, and that's how diverse the land is. We go from apple orchards to banana trees, and just this short little drive. The, the elevation changes, the climate changes. It was just, it was phenomenal to me. And then we keep driving, and we get in these areas with steep hills, and, and they've terrace farmed the hills, and all the rich soil comes, and they're growing these amazing grapes. So this picture is taken during one of our classes. Yes, I was not paying attention at that moment. I was taking a picture. But we were sitting under these grapes, like literally just sitting there as the instructor talked. We were with a, a Jewish rabbi at this point, and he was telling us about how Jesus used um, parables, and he was talking about parables, and I was looking at grapes because I'm ADD, and I took this picture. But the point is, the grapes are amazing. They're everywhere. And then you have olive trees that are just, they're humongous. They're so fruitful. And I, when we were there, they were just full of olives, just, just loaded with olives. And you have pomegranate trees with this amazing fruit growing on it. And it's virtually every fruit or vegetable you could think of is grown in this little tiny country that would fit in Lake Michigan. It's just, it's amazing. And not only does it have all this opportunity for growing all these different foods, but it's got these beautiful lands that are perfect for raising cow or sheep or goats or, in this case, a camel. So this camel was hanging out on the side of the road, and so I took a picture of him because I thought, I don't see camels very often, so um, he's just kind of free-ranging. There wasn't any people around. I'm not sure what his deal was, but camels too. So Israel has pasture lands. It's got, got agricultural land, perfect for livestock. There's these freshwater springs that just seem to come up out of the ground all over the place in, in Israel. That it's, just, it's, it's an amazing place of, of beauty, but it's also just this lush place. You know what it is? It's the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, here's the disappointing thing I found out when I was there. You know that honey thing? It's not bee honey. And I always thought it was bee honey. So my whole life, I've been thinking about, like, lots of bees in Israel and honey. It's date honey. They would take the date palms and smash it up and make, like, a jam. Like, who knew that? That's kind of disappointing, isn't it? At least it was for me. Those images that you have since childhood get all busted up. But anyway, land flowing with milk and honey. Remember Joshua? Remember the story of Joshua? And then he sends in the spies to check out the land. And they come out, and they're like, it's amazing. You should see the fruit there. Every kind of fruit you can think of, and the fruit is huge, and it's so lush. It really is this land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's everything God said it would be. Well, what's the, the point? Why the promised land? Well, what struck me while we were traveling through Israel is God gave them a perfect place to provide for all of their physical needs. What other country could have so much diversity of landscape and, and ability to grow so many different things that, that they, were, they, were, they were able to be self-sufficient and wouldn't have to rely on any other country for what they needed? You probably remember the, the descendants of Abraham come in and Jacob has 12 sons and those 12 sons become 12 tribes and then when they take possession of the land they're, they're kind of dispersed into different areas that God gives each one of the, the tribes a territory and if you think about that and, and you put it into perspective what it means is apart from the Levites who were meant to be the priests the, the rest of them all had a territory so if you were Benjamin you were placed in the perfect place to grow grapes make wine maybe even some olive trees to make olive oil if you were the tribe of Reuben and Gad, you were placed in areas that was perfect for raising sheep and goats and cattle. Dan was in the plains, so they would be excellent at growing grains and having all the grains that the people need. Asher for all kinds of fruits and vegetables and, and so on. And then God does this amazing thing. He says, here's what I want you to do. Three times a year, I want you to all come back to a central location. We're going to call these 
feasts. We're going to call these celebrations. So, the, so you have all these three different feasts. And every time you come, I want you to bring what you raised. I want you to bring what you grew. I want you to bring the, the fruit of your labor to these festivals. And I want you to share them with one another. We'll have huge feasts. And you'll be able to see what, what different parts of your tribe are, are doing, different parts of your, your people are doing. And so it was a perfect place to come and, and give back to God sacrificially. So they would come and give of their first fruits. But it was also a place for them to, to see each other's products, if you will, to see the, the, the wares that each of them was producing so that they could then begin to set up a system of trade with one another. So if one group was producing grain and the other group was producing cattle, then the people could have a full meal. They could have everything they needed. There was this perfect place to set up this agricultural and economic system that would sustain the Israelites. So why the promised land? Well, because it's got some pretty amazing holy history. Every time I say that, I think of Batman. I don't know why. Sorry. Nobody gets that. Holy history. And because it will provide for all of their physical needs, so they won't have to be dependent on any other country. But there's one other reason, and it's huge. It's, it's the reason God put them there was because it was the perfect place to be priests to the world. I want to show you this by using a map. So this is on the screen, a map of, of Israel. So that's the Mediterranean Sea on your left, and then uh, the huge desert on your right. Israel is really, if you're drawn in there, it's really the part that you can see that's sort of greenish. Um, well, I guess that's brownish, whatever, depending on your angle. But where Israel is put, that's, that's Israel. So if you know your geography, above Israel is Europe and Asia, and below Israel is Africa. Okay? So you're getting a feel for where we are. Here's a shocking statistic. At the time of the Joshua conquest, you're right, when Joshua came in and they, they took the land, the promised land, when they came in, and you, you remember that whole story. So at that time, uh, one of the sources I found said that 97% of the world's population lived in Africa, Asia, and Europe. Now just think about that for a minute. 97%. So let's just say they're off by 10%. Okay, then 87% of the world's population lived in Europe, and Asia, and Africa. Now, this is of a time when traveling by sea was really, it was, it was it, they hadn't perfected that. It was dangerous. They didn't really travel. Nautical travel really wasn't, uh, wasn't done in, in, in any kind of full-scale way. They hadn't tamed the sea. It was, as a matter of fact, most civilizations were afraid of the sea, which was what made Alexander the Great so impressive, was he was the first one to really tame the sea. But anyway, so there isn't much going on going across the sea. And then if we're over here, there's this huge desert. Well, we're not going to go through the desert because people die in the desert. So if I want to get from Africa to Europe, I'm going to go through Israel. And if I want to get from Asia to Africa, and the truth of the matter is, all of those continents needed product that the other continents were providing or, or could produce. So you had these major trade going through Israel. It was the perfect place to tell the world about Yahweh. After all, they were going to be driving through their backyards. They would need to be fed. They would need to be refreshed. They would need to be give places of, of refuge, right? And God has given them all these instructions. So if you hold that in your mind, and then you go back and you read the Old Testament, all of the instructions that God gives to them about how they are to treat the foreigners in their land, it all becomes much more vivid and understanding. So in Exodus 22, for instance, he says, don't mistreat or oppress the foreigners, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Treat the foreigners different. Why is he telling that? Because they're going to have a lot of foreigners cruising through their backyard. And he's saying, how you treat a matter. See, I'm calling you to be priests to the world, and I'm going to bring the world to you. 
It's a beautiful picture. So when you boil it down, God places them in the, the perfect place. He gives them everything they need to be priests to the world. And here's what they have to do. They have to love God and love people. If they would just love God and love people, God's put all the other pieces into place for them to be the very thing that God has called them to be. So here's the question we need to ask on a day like today. So what? What does all this ancient history have to do with you and I? I mean, it's fascinating. It's fun stuff. It's really cool. But what does it have to do with you and me? Well, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. If you're reading the Bibles under your seat, it's page 858, uh, way back in the back of your Bible. 1 Peter 2. And while you're looking for it, let me just tell you, this is a passage that's written to anyone who's ever said yes to Jesus. This is a passage written to anyone who is a Christ follower, whether you're young or old, rich, poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile. This is very clearly all-inclusive language for the followers of Jesus. And what's shocking to me and very inspiring to me is that Peter uses Old Testament language to make his point, and you're going to see that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. He says, but you, who? You and I, anyone who said yes to Jesus, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do those sound familiar to you? Those are all the same words that were used to describe Abraham and his descendants before they went into the promised land. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. Why are you these things that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light? Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles abstain from sinful desire that wage war against you. So he's saying, live differently. Let people see you living a different sort of lifestyle. Live such a life among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Here's the deal. Something supernatural took place when you said yes to Jesus. You became a priest. Now, some of you aren't real excited about the concept because whatever image you have of a priest isn't necessarily what you want to be. But I'm telling you, the minute you said yes to Jesus, you became a priest. And not just a priest, but a royal priest. Some of you are thinking, okay, what do I do with that? Well, together, we, we come together and we become the people of God. We become a holy nation. We become the chosen people. Well, what are we chosen for? Well, we're chosen to be priests. What does a priest do? Well, a priest points people to God. A royal priesthood, just like the people of Israel. And just like the people of Israel, you have been provided everything you need to be a priest. You've already been given everything you need, including being placed in a particular place where you are called to be a priest. You don't have to go somewhere else. You don't have to go across the continent to be a missionary, to be a priest. God has called you to be a priest. At Grace, we believe that there are six essentials that you need in your life if you're going to grow spiritually. We believe that you need to come to church. You need to gather 
with a group of believers, whether it's this church or another church, you need to go to church. It's part of your spiritual development. We believe that you need to be connected in a small group. You need to have people in your lives that can challenge you, that you can challenge them, that you're going to grow spiritually when you do that. We believe that you need to serve. God created you as in a work of art to do good works, which he prepared in advance, and those good works that you do are going to help you to grow spiritually. We believe that you need to have a generous spirit, that you need to be willing to give of the time and resources and finances that God has given to you. We know that you need to have a heart of devotion. The word tells us that God is going to pour himself out strong for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. And we also know that you need to be a person of influence, willing to share your life with other people, willing to point towards God for other people. Being, having this, this idea of influence being part of our six essentials isn't something we just thought of, something to be clever. It's what the scriptures tell us we have to be. So God has blessed you. He has entrusted something to you beyond your wildest imagination. He made you his son. He made you his daughter. He gave you the Holy Spirit to guide you and empower you. And he did this for the express purpose of telling others, of pointing others towards him. You want to grow as a follower of Jesus? Then have influence on other people. Share your faith. You need to live out this high calling that God has placed in you. When I showed you the slide that I showed you that had Israel and the arrows going through it, what I said was people were driving through Israel's backyard, and the question I would ask you is, who's driving through your backyard? No, literally, who's, who's coming into your sphere of influence? Who is God bringing to you? Because that's the thing. God's already doing this. I have no doubt for every person in this room to have an answer to the question. That's where this card comes in. It's a simple exercise of just stopping and asking God, who's driving through my backyard? And write the names. And some of you are going to need three or four cards. And then just take extra cards. Write down a name. God, who are you bringing into my life? Who are you bringing into my path that you want me to be a priest to, that you want me to share the message of Jesus with? Because God is saying, I've called you, I've chosen you to be priests. Maybe you're coaching one of your kids' teams. One of the things I have loved to watch over the last few years is, is Tony Simarusti when he coaches football and he coaches baseball and he coaches wrestling. And he just lives his life. Honestly, he loves God and he loves people and he coaches and he has this opportunity to lead so many of them to Christ. It's phenomenal. Not the impact that he's just having on the kids, but on the kids' family. And I think about like Scott Cooper and all that he's done with the girls' cross-country team at Gross Point North and how he's just loved God and loved people and lived out his life. Those are the people that, that God's bringing through his backyard. Maybe it's work. I, I love watching Tristan, Dr. Guevara, and the way he's just gotten bold in his faith, and he prays with some of his patients when they need it, and he shares his faith with patients who are struggling with, with things, and, and people have come to Christ. He's just loving God and and loving people in his workplace, or Stacy Lemansky, she's had a huge impact in the hospitals. And I hear people all the time, like, I met this girl, her name is Stacy. She's so different. She's just loving God and she's loving people. Maybe it's school. Maybe you're still in school. I, I heard a great story. Um, Nia Shoemake, Norflet's daughter, is um, she's at Oxford for the summer, and she started the Bible study. And the kids are coming to her and they're they're asking her spiritual questions at Oxford. We have a priest at Oxford, named Nia. How cool is that? She's just loving God and loving people. Yeah, we should clap for that. That's an amazing thing. The question is, who's driving through your backyard? Neighbors, family, coworkers? We're priests, and if we're priests, we are called to be a compass, leading the people 
to righteousness, to the virtuous path to God. My encouragement to us as a church is that we live into this amazing calling that God has given us. On every chair was the card. I want you to take the time to just pray over things. That's just for you to take with you. You don't have to turn it in. You don't have to give it to us. So this fall, we're going to do Alpha. And God has laid it on our hearts that we're going to get 500 guests this fall to participate in Alpha because God has called us to be priests to this community. And I think that, that throughout the history of, of, of evangelical Christianity, of Christianity in general, that there's been these, these movements of God that have been used by God to bring lots of people to, to Christ. And, and so one of those examples would be the, the, the movement of, of the, um, Billy Graham and those, those big outdoor events. The, they call them the Crusades, but not the Crusades like the Crusader Crusade, because we don't want to go there. But Billy Graham and the, and the Crusades, and tons of people came to Christ through that. And I think Alpha is the tool that God has given the church today to lead people to Christ. That doesn't mean you, you can't do it without Alpha, but what I am saying is that literally thousands and thousands of people across the world are coming to Christ through this tool that we have access to. And so we said, let's take advantage of that. Let's use the tool. Let's invite the people who are driving through our backyard to come with us. And so we said, well, let's figure out what all the, the reasons people wouldn't want to come. Some people are going to say, I don't want to go to church. Say, great, let's go to the bar instead because we're going to have Alpha in the bar. We're going to take over some of these third spaces, and whether we're at Fishbones or, or Atwater Brewery or Mimi's Bristro, wherever we can find spaces. So invite your friends. Some of you have been playing cards with the same group of friends. You're in a bridge club or whatever you do, and you've been, you've been hanging out with these people for 25 years. It's the perfect chance because you don't have to invite them to come to church. I get that. Some people are just, they've had enough church stuff. We don't want to give them church. We want to give them Jesus. And then we got groups that are going to be meeting in homes. So invite them into your home. Invite them into one of the other homes. The point is, invite them. Invite them to the church. Some people aren't going to have a hesitation. 500 guests. You know how we're going to get 500 guests? Every one of you are going to have to pray over that card, and you're going to have to invite your friends to be a part of it. But God is calling us to be priests to the nation, to live into our high calling as royal priests, as a holy nation. So what is God inviting you to do. Remember, the invitation of God is the beginning of God's movement in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the high calling that you've placed on all of us. This isn't about me as the pastor of grace. This is about all of us being royal priests, the priesthood of all believers. It's truth. It's power. Lord, may we please you with the way we point others towards you. May we live lives that that people see and say there's something different about them. There's something powerful about the way that may we be bold in our words to share the amazing impact you've had. May we always be ready to share the reason for the hope that we have. Lord, I pray for this thing we're doing with Alpha. Lord, I, I pray that you would just, you would blow the numbers out of the water, that it would be more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Lord, if we have to, if we have to rent space to accommodate all the people, Lord, we'll do what we have to do. But Lord, we just pray that you would stir in the hearts of us. Help us to be the people you've called us to be at Moras and I-94. Thank you for this trip that you allowed me to go on and just how you used it to, to shake some things up in me. Thank you for continuing to use it just to grow my understanding of who you are, the good work that you've been up to throughout all of history. Thank you for your son Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. God bless. Take your cards with you. Have a great Sunday. Oh, wow.